0: In today's Revival podcast episode, we're looking at the theme of transforming revival and a global perspective of what God is doing. And I couldn't be more thrilled to be joined by George Otis Jr., the maker of those transformations videos that took the world by storm over the last 20 years. Well, I am absolutely delighted to have George Otis Jr. for the Sentinel Group joining me today uh, for this program. Uh, I have been impacted by the videos that George has produced. The storytelling he has done of what God has been up to on our planet uh, over the years. I I mean, I I can't express how deeply I've been moved. Um, Weeping over them, replaying some of those DVDs, watching them with friends and family, dreaming whether it's possible for it to happen again. Could God use us? Would he do it on the earth again? So uh, having George join me for this program today is an absolute honor for me and a delight. George, thank you so much for making time to join me for this program.
1: Yeah, Steve, it's just an absolute honor and privilege to be here with you today uh,
0: talking about one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to get straight to the point, George. Uh, I guess I've been, one of the questions I've wanted to ask you, it's going to be two pronged, the first prong of it. Uh, Is there a biblical case for revival? I've sometimes been accused by church leaders, while you're in a room waiting for revival, we're getting busy and doing things for the kingdom. Almost like we're hidden somewhere waiting for something to happen. Uh, So what does the Bible have to say about revival, if it has anything to say? Yeah, I
1: just, I'm going to answer that, but I, I think just in re- reference to the, to the comment that people make like that, um, my own analysis of the current trajectory of society does not suggest that the church is getting the job done, uh, business as usual. So I I would not I would not talk about getting things done unless you've done a lot of looking around and a lot of research, <laughs> because you you can end up having a a big work uh, built on a on a garbage dump or in a cesspool, and we have to look around and and be be more honest I think. But in terms of biblical cases for revival I think there's a number both in the Old Testament and, and in the New and we we have to understand that when the Bible was written people weren't looking for the the, the nomenclature and the verbiage that it's familiar to us today so we look at the we look at what actually God did and I I prefer to use the term transforming revival because that sets it apart from just a a really intense and emotionally blessed meeting with worship. Uh, Transforming revival uh, leaves its fingerprints on every arena of human life and endeavor. It changes the the social economic fiber, uh, the ecology, it changes everything. And if that's not happening, then that probably means we, uh, we have got a ways to go before we can use that that particular term. Now, when we look in the Old Testament, we find these, these amazing cases of Ezra and Nehemiah, in particular, who had, had been in exile. There'd been devastation uh, upon the land of uh, the people of God, and they were trying to rebuild things. And the way that the Lord initiated all of this in the place of prayer, and then led them and guided them, set up the circumstantial uh, factors and opportunities that allowed the people under leadership, following the example of people like Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, into humility and into repentance, and, and then the the incredible transformation of uh, society that took place there. Another another case that people often don't think of is actually the day of Pentecost. And think, well, this is a one-off thing. And it was all God, but there was so much that was a lead up um, to the day of Pentecost, even to the, the, the disciples, the apostles gathering in the upper room, uh, Jesus had had uh, demonstrated to them that uh, through many wonderful works and many miracles that uh, he was in a new place, this resurrected Christ. And so he gave them some instructions to go to Jerusalem, to wait there in as one, in one accord. And then the Holy Spirit uh, fell upon them. But again, it was not just to have a great meeting in the upper room. It was to spill out into society and to begin to see things change. And we we really look at this in many ways as the birthplace of, of the church. And there were it was so powerful, the presence of God, so overwhelming that there were people around Solomon's porch, but at a distance, really blown away by what they were seeing there but they didn't dare to attach themselves to these people because there was real power there and there was a there was a fear and I I think that wherever I've been in the world where there has been genuine revival it's been because the the manifest presence of the Lord is there it it, it, we've prayed like Isaiah in Isaiah 64:1 God would you rend the heavens and come down in other words invade our space uh, revival revival has addresses it changes places not just people and so if the place isn't changed then we haven't seen the the purposes of God fully uh developed and we need to remember that certainly that was the case in Antioch as well. So these are just very quickly, for the sake of time, uh, several places where I, I think that we've seen what we would consider to be
0: a transforming revival today, but they're, they're not the only ones. Yeah. So, I mean, they're all very helpful. Those are examples of what's happened, Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, I guess the New Testament, Jerusalem, Antioch, Ephesus, is, is there is there a biblical promise that the Lord would do it again, or is it just that it happened in the scriptures? So are there things that we can hold on to as we look towards our future?
1: Well, I, I think that w- we need to kind of go back and uh, uh, reacquaint ourselves with the very roots of our faith. Uh, hmm. What is it that God wants to do if it's not to transform our selves and the institutions and our land. I mean, that's the whole point of redemption. And Paul says to the Colossians, Christ has redeemed all things. All is a huge word. And I used to think this only applied for much of my life to salvation. It certainly incorporates that. But now as I've traveled around the world and seen God at work in so many marvelous ways, I realized that he's, he's a very comprehensive deliverer. He, he comes in kind of like a divine chiropractor in a dysfunctional community, pop, 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 and puts everything back into alignment uh, before looking to his own people and saying, now keep your eyes focused on me and I'll show you how to extend this blessed condition over decades. Uh, through new business practices, uh, through new educational curricula, uh, new legislation and so forth. And we're seeing this in the earth today in a number of locations that are now between 20 and 25 years down the road in in their experience of transforming revival.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, The two-prong question, this is the second prong of it. So that's a biblical, what the Bible has said. And I would, I'm obviously in full agreement with that. I think there's a bigger story, the story of God playing out that we are being invited into. I absolutely love Psalm 67. May that bless us so that the nations would turn to you. So that every tribe, every tongue, that hasn't happened yet, we want it to happen. Or that the earth would be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That was prophesied, it's prayed, it's been declared, it's written, but we're not experiencing it. So I, I I, would think I've got a right to take those prophecies and Psalms and to pray them back to the Lord. Um, or like in the Hebrides, you know, I, from Isaiah, you, you promised to pour down water on dry ground and it, it's holding on to the promise of God from thousands of years earlier and, and the Lord still desires to do it today. So I, I'm in full agreement, but love the take that you have. Going into history, every generation has a tendency to be short-sighted, and few of us have lived through a transforming revival, if very few, Uh, in terms of uh, presence meetings. Yes, somebody prayed for me, and the presence of God was very strong on me. I don't deny that, or being in meetings that may even have gone on three or four hours just because of God's glory in the room but they didn't necessarily lead to transformation in the society, society yeah. or even long-term transformation for people who are in the yeah. room. And yeah. so just, I would love just to hear something of historical revival. Yeah. And I don't know how we can do that. i would just leave it to you. You might just track through a timeline or something, if you felt that way, or pick one or two examples.
1: There, there are so many, but uh, one of the, one of the examples that People often look to, and rightly so, would be the Moravians, uh, because this was an explosive revival, totally transformed this area uh, of Germany, and then spread through the earth uh, for uh, the next couple hundred years. Really, birthed the the modern prayer movement and the missions movement were birthed out of that revival. But I. I think that the story of, of um, uh, the Moravians actually begins several decades prior. Um, you know, it, even with the Moravians, uh, children praying played a huge part of the launch of that revival. Uh, it certainly was at the same moment and not trailing what was happening with the adults. But if you if you go a little bit Northeast, into Poland, because uh, Heronhut, which is where the Moravian revival broke out, was in Eastern part of Germany. In in an area called Cilicia, there was a, a, a tremendous story that took place where hundreds, hundreds of children were gathering out in the fields to pray. And the parents, I mean, they were getting up like in the wee hours of the morning when it was really cold and they would gather in circles and really a pure, precious thing calling upon the name of the Lord. And, um, and there are many of us that believe that this was the trigger point for the promises that God gave to them of, of what he was going to do was manifest fully in the Moravian Revival. So that's and of course you know the the good thing about the Moravian revival is you had two generations impacted simultaneously that's what gave gave it longevity gave it legs because when the the pre the older generation died off their children took over and they were eyewitnesses they had experienced what God had done there initially and so they carried on and uh I've, I've taken revival heritage tours. Uh, we sponsor them, take people on them throughout Europe. And um, we go to some of the places where God has moved. And even in the UK and Northern Ireland, places like that, you always find evidence of the Moravians. They just got out there as forerunners in so many ways. So that's that's an incredible case of, of um, a historic revival. in. What happened socially and, and economically, and so forth, we could take ages to talk about.
0: That's late 1600s into the early
1: 1700s. Yeah, you yes, and you had this was contemporary with with Wesley, with John Wesley. In fact, Count Zinzendorf, who is really the catalyst of the Moravian revival in many ways, and Wesley met often and talked. Now their their theological views and perspective on. The mechanics were a little bit different, but they, they had immense respect for one another because there was the evidence that God was giving favor. Now, this is really an important thing because there are people who think that God only favors a particular tribe or a particular way of thinking, but really he's favoring things that are deeper than all of that. They are what we would call the virtues or the graces. Uh, particularly humility, which in, in my mind, through my research, is the single most important thing that we've got to grab a hold of if we want to see transforming revival. Uh, you, you mentioned another one, another revival um, in the Hebrides. I've, I've done a lot of filming up there, a lot of interviews of the, of the people. They call them the old worthies the people who'd actually lived through the revival back from 1949 to to 1953. uh, We've met with them in weaving barns, in churches, in homes, uh, and the the stories just absolutely knock your socks off. Maybe the most dramatic one, one on the island of Bernare, a little speck of a place, but that would take too long to go into now. But there's also a revival in... um, uh, western germany not too far from stuttgart in a little community called mutlingen and the 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 catalyst in this revival was actually a lutheran minister uh by the name of johann Blumhardt. and if you want to read up more about it you can go on to the to the web and and uh google the a book called the awakening the awakening it's a fabulous story. And uh, it it just shows how God took a a demonic superstitious culture uh, there in the black forest. There was so much witchcraft and demonic possession and and, uh, spiritual coldness uh, in terms of the Christian church and just blew that away. And many, many healings took place, deliverances, Uh, It spread to tens of thousands of people came into the kingdom of God. Well, uh, a man by the name of Andrew Murray, who you're probably well familiar with, is written on humility and absolute surrender and prayer and a lot of other good fundamental topics. It's South African, actually. Um, He was in the UK during this time and heard about this move of God in the Black Forest under Bloomhart he traveled over there. He, he took an, ex, a spiritual, a revival exposure tour over wow. there to Mutligan, was blown away by everything he encountered there. And he then carried that back down to South Africa, which triggered a whole round of revival down there. So wow. genuine revival is incredibly contagious. And, uh, we, we've just seen that so many times. Those are, yeah.
0: those are, it's, it's hard to stop, but uh, that's probably a good stopping place. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry to learn more. And I feel my own appetite growing, which I think whenever we talk about things of God like that, and I, I, one of the, one of my sad things is that the church doesn't talk about things like that. We talk about church growth. We talk about buildings. We talk about leadership. We talk about campuses, and in those there's no life. It becomes competitive. It becomes what are you doing? How can I? And yet, when we talk about the spirit of God and the life of God, you feel Him in the atmosphere, almost awakening. I think in in one of your courses you call it this longing for home, um, this yes. this sense yes. of yeah. So. Um, I know, in, uh, I, I didn't know about the Germany one. The others, I am aware that in um, in the Moravian movement, there was a 100-year prayer meeting. That's right. Which That's is right. crazy to think that people prayed nonstop for 100 years, yeah. Uh, yeah. children included. I'm aware that in the Hebrides, uh, it was two sisters, uh, one nearly deaf, one blind, who gave themselves to prayer out of a burden to see that... transformation come to the young people. This connection of prayer preceding revival, I I don't know, do you wanna make a comment on that? What you've observed as you've traveled to places or read about stories?
1: First of all, we've been tracking now uh, well over 800 contemporary cases of transforming revival. So this is now becoming increasingly common Uh, and if if people haven't encountered it or seen it, then they should feel left out, (laughs) and they should get up and go touch the nearest place where it is happening and bring those embers back to where they live. Prayer, I've never come across a single case of transforming revival that prayer did not play a central role. Never seen one, but before you can get to the kind of prayer that prevails with God, um, there needs to be an appetite, a, a desperation, really. Um, and I, to me, people ask, well, if you would be able to sum up everything you could say about what it takes to prepare the way of the Lord and what it's involved with, I would say it's, it's abandonment with expectation we have to be prepared to abandon ourselves. And really, I think it goes along the lines of a lot of what you were talking to me about earlier, about how the Lord has been leading you uh, to abandon a lot of things for something even greater. And, And here's an important principle here, just as a quick aside. A lot of times we resist that kind of change. We resist those kinds of adjustment because our identity is rooted in a particular activity or form of, so you'll have, for example, today, you'll have word churches or faith churches or worship churches or missions churches. And so you can't change anything or or even organizational um, plans because that's who you are. But God doesn't think that way and He doesn't work that way. If we want to stay on the on the crest of the wave where God is moving, we have to be malleable. We we need to allow the Lord the opportunity to change us, to mold us. And so, for example, maybe what we have been is a is a hammer. That's the Mm -hmm. instrument God has used. But in, in in the future, what he needs is a spoon. So he, if we let him change us from a hammer into a spoon, we're still right there in the cutting edge of what God is purposing to do, uh, and it's exhilarating once you give yourself to it. Uh, I, I think it's very important. So the 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 issue of appetite, we we cannot overstate the importance of this. And you know, I I, I realized a, a number of years ago that talking to people. Um, about the mechanics or the process of preparing the way of the Lord was not fruitful unless they first had an appetite. So we've got to start by talking about how do we get that appetite, and uh, without that, everything else is is just busy work. So how
0: do we get that appetite?
1: Well, one of the things that that I can say is there's a little prayer that God has brought to me on this, this question. And it came uh, through the observation of the behavior of, of scores and scores and scores of, of genuine revival catalysts. And they were all fragile and weak and limited. Just we understand those things, but they, they broke through that and then they prevailed. And Uh, The the prayer goes like this, God, would you stimulate in me, would you quicken in me an increased appetite for those things that are proven to attract your presence, your favor, and your attention? So I, I know the story in Cali, Colombia. Many people have seen it on our first transformations video. They understand this tremendous outpouring of God to change things in society and um, by the way, we have gone back to most of the stories that we've already filmed in filmed updates that are, in some cases, more exciting than what people have already seen. So that's going to be part of the next round of, of material released. But, <laughs> it, it, I mean, there's there's absolutely no no end to this. But in that story of Cali, one of the principal catalysts was a man named Julio Roibal Re, and uh, he, he was devastated by the lack of unity uh, amongst the churches of that city. It was terrible. And so he, uh, one day he, he said, I, I need to fast about this because I don't want to be with these other brothers. I, I don't, it's not edifying. So he went on a 40 day fast and he said, God, would you quicken within me an appetite for unity? because I've lost it. I, I don't want to be with these others. And um, within 10 days of the 40-day fast, God responded to him. Now, if it was me, I would have broken my fast at that point, thinking I've, I've got that which I was after. To his credit, he did not do that. He pressed on for another month, and this this, this hunger, this appetite for unity became so... Compelling that his wife, his widow now uh, Ruth, told me, I believe that he gave God the right to spend him wow. his life if it would bring this thing about that he now was so consumed with, and it was actually at his own funeral he was he was shot down um, on the streets there in front of a Presbyterian church, and within a, a few days they had the largest christian gathering in the history of the city um and all of the others that came signed this covenant of unity and brought it to his widow and said from this day we will not let anything come between us and this this brings up the the biblical story and unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies it abides alone but if it dies It brings forth much fruit. We've seen this principle so many times. Um, There is a man in the Hebrides revival by the name of Hector McKinnon. He was the postman for the island that he lived on. And he cried out to God uh, morning, noon, and night. And right after revival came in dramatic fashion to his island, he went back to this place that he frequented in prayer and he, he died there. Uh, In the United States, Charles Finney's number one prayer partner, Father Nash, he died also in the place of prayer. So these hidden people behind the scenes crying out to God, pressing through. It's not just a matter of, of saying, I wish this would happen. I hope this would happen. It's not letting go until you have that thing that you desire and that God desires, That's prevailing prayer. And that's the kind of prayer that triggers these awakenings.
0: You mentioned 800 places on the earth that you've um, kind of written about, or you know that stuff's happening. There'll be a lot of people that are just unaware of what's going on right now. Um, Can you help us to kind of both tell us a little of what's happening on the earth right now, but then also where can we go to find out more? Well, I, I mean, I, we realized
1: that um, there was a phenomenon of God. I, I, I think some of these biblical prophecies of the spirit of God being poured out on all flesh, I think we're in, we're starting to see this happen right now. And these difficult days of this past year, and this year, uh, there's a silver lining to it in that it is bringing people back to their knees, back to their roots, and back to a place of desperation and that's when things really start to happen and there's a lot that we could talk about in in that regard so i am i am very encouraged and there are there are so many of these places that we just thought you know we have to get people aware of this we need to the people in the church need to get outside and look around because god is really active He's moving in a lot of places right now. And in in my country, in the United States, and I think this is true of the Western world in general, uh, Christians, they'll listen to stories of something that happens out in Africa or in the islands or in the jungles of the Amazon or something like that. There's things happening in all those places, but it doesn't seem relevant to them. They don't, they can't, they can't, uh, translate that into their present context. So we realize God will be moving in in a nation as large as the United States. Where is that happening? And how can we tell that story? So we're now working on finishing up a video called God Takes the Toughest Cases of several locations that were, there was no hope, no hope for these places in the natural. They were uh, taking their last gasp. Uh, I mean their dramatic stories and um, but then people got desperate. not a lot of people, a handful of people got desperate and began to cry out to God uh, out of that place of desperation. They humbled themselves saying we're impotent. we can't do anything to fix this or to change this, but you can and then god came rushing into these places and you know when you when you're listening to people tell you these stories of what god did your hair stands up on your arms and on the back of your neck and you you feel even though you weren't there at that moment you you feel the presence of god there's something electric about the authentic manifest presence of god uh, it's a it's a holy thing. It's a fearful thing. It's an enticing thing all all at once. Uh, I remember in Uganda, since we've already mentioned talked about you and I talked about this country. After the church was scattered uh, during the difficult days of Idi Amin and his successor Milton Obote, um, they uh, they slowly made their ways out of out of swamps where they would pray in water up to their chests uh, into the wee hours of the morning. And then God came, he he broke the back of the, the distress and they went back to their churches, which had been in many cases all shot up. And sometimes parts of the walls weren't there. Um, some of the pastors had been killed. And there was this one church, uh, uh, this fellow told me, he said, we came to church Um, uh, And we got to the door of the church, and we couldn't take another step inside, because we saw what looked like a smoke that was swirling, it was moving, and he said, and it was alive. It was overwhelmingly powerful and holy, and we knew that we, we could not take a casual step into that place. I I can't tell you how many times I've heard a variation on that account. So this power, this presence of God is what we need today in society. We need to be people who walk with this God, who can translate and describe this God to the people around us, creating an appetite for it. We in our own ministry, we realized that the videos that we put out only went so far, and we needed to take people, physically take them, even if they were skeptics, to the places where God is moving. And when you have a whole community tell you a story, and they're weeping, and you can see the evidence of what they're talking about, it it changes you forever. So we we need to do a lot more of this, and that's what Andrew Murray did when he was in the UK and went over to Germany and then down to South Africa. Um, Interestingly enough, one of the areas uh, that has been probably uh, an epicenter of revival in the earth in in these days has been in Melanesia, Uh, in the Australian Aboriginal areas, the, the nations of Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands and especially the Fiji Islands. And there are hundreds of transformation stories in this area and they are, they are so supernatural, they'll make your head spin, but they're continuing, it's continuing to expand and grow. And um, so we uh, every time we go over there, which is about every 18 to 24 months, they will take us around to an entirely new set of communities that have, so the stories over a number of years now so i started going in the year 2000 and we're now in 2021 and i've been back there so many times every time there's a whole new crop of stories and it's this contagion if people if if they if they see something glowing on the other side of the backyard fence, they'll go out there and they'll peer over the fence to see what it is. And that's when it gets contagious and it will spread from a village to village, neighborhood to neighborhood, city to city. Uh, Anybody that's read the history of revival knows that this is the way it works. Uh, there's, There's so many
0: places where God is moving right now. Yeah, I want to come on one of those tours with you when you do one next time. I want
1: you to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, so I'm sir. Gonna, I'm going to get myself on your list and you let me know when you're going. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I, I've heard some crazy story out out of those Solomon Islands and what God's done there, and some of them are just mind-blowing. You think, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah almost yeah. like it sort of bends your thinking as to what yeah. God can do, would do. I, I think yeah. sometimes in a Western theological institutional mindset, it it doesn't compute. And yet I think God in his poetry, artistry, majesty and splendor, who he is, just kind of loves, I think even to mess our minds up with the way that he does things and what he does and that he doesn't owe us an explanation in the midst of what he's doing. So, so George, I, I've loved all of that, and uh, I would love to interview you again another time, but where do we go from here? So most of the audience for this, they can obviously tune in from anywhere in the world. There'll be a few from the US and lots from the UK, and maybe some into Europe. Knowing those climates and where we are, where do we go from here? I think I think
1: there's several little, practical steps that people can take if they're on the front line, of, front line of this journey. And by the way, every community we've studied passes through three very distinct phases. An invitation phase where we call upon God uh, through our humility and our repentance and our prayer to rend the heavens and come down. There's a moment when God answers that and he comes down. That's the visitation phase and that doesn't last very long, but it's very intense and corrective, and that leads into the third phase of the transformation phase, where all of the spirit of the Lord that comes in the visitation spills out uh, through Christians' uh, stewards in all the different spheres of society. So, but the front end is what concerns us. How do we get out of the starting blocks? Uh, And I... Uh, we have you may have seen this uh, if not it's it can be made available to you. We put together a uh, something we call a life appetites test that can help people to see what the priority hungers really are in their lives. In, in any in any given gathering, whether it's in a home or a church or a big conference hall, people we come into these meetings, with an invisible list of, of life hungers or life appetites inside of us. Some of them are base appetites that are linked to our survival as a species. Uh, we know what those things are. And then there's, there's others that are unique to our upbringing into the personality that got. Some have a, an appetite for control or for um, reputation or security, whatever. So this little test um, is designed to show us on a list of about fifty options where our where our hunger for the presence of God actually ranks. And we talk to people about how to do this brutally honestly; otherwise, it's a total waste of time. And um, and and it is shocking to people. People western christians almost automatically assume that that's the chief hunger in their lives but it almost never is when i did this uh my hunger for the presence of god ranked number six on on my list now that that impacted me profoundly but the 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 positive in it was that i could see very clearly what the five appetites were that we holding me back because when our hunger for the presence of God trumps every other hunger in our lives, transforming revival has begun. Yeah. So we've got to stop thinking about out there in terms of starting revival. We have to start in here. Revival has to come in our hearts, in our own lives. And uh, so that's one way that, that that can be done. I think also what we've been talking about is, consciously proactively exposing ourselves to the genuine move of god in in our day you 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 can't take a dogmatic position on what god will or won't do if you haven't gotten out there to see what god is doing and um so and, and then back to the something i mentioned earlier this is a third thing i and I, I've just gone through Andrew Murray's book on humility. So it's very much on my mind right now. It has been very convicting to me. Um, but a few years ago, we were looking at these hundreds of revival catalysts that we'd encountered and interviewed around the world. And we, we asked the Lord, okay, what, what kind of people do you choose? What is it that you're looking for? And we really began to research this. And um, we realized that it had nothing to do with age because it ranged from these two ladies in <laughs> the, the Hebrides that were up in their upper 80s to uh, four year old children in, in a place called Omkoi province in China. So you have this huge age gap. And then in terms of profession, we, we've seen uh, police. Uh, chiefs, we have seen um, clergymen, we've seen teachers, we've seen students, we've seen housewives, we've seen people from businessmen from all walks of life that have been catalytic. And we we looked at levels of education, and it went from zero to massive education. So I was just about ready to give up and say there is no common uh, common feature here. And then so often happens in these situations, I saw the answer and it was hidden in plain sight. Every single one of these people that we had looked at and studied lived their lives in a profound humility. So it is humility that is the most powerful Attractor of the favor, the attention, and the presence of God. And that's why in second Chronicles 7:14, it is the first order of business. If we will humble ourselves, without that, nothing else is possible. God will not attach Himself to, to, to something that is of flesh or proud. He will not do it so um that's why as we were talking before the podcast today and you were telling me how the lord was dealing with you and leading you it really was heartwarming to me because this is very consistent with what i have been observing god responding to amen amen
0: i i i could just pray with you right now like lord just help me to stay in that place of humility i think one of our conversations as a team um, the team that I'm working with, we're trying to steward what God has begun to do, is how do we deal with the love for platform? The, we look back on the Western church and so easily spoiled by a platform or a book deal or increase of finance or popularity and, and in even what we might call renewals rather than transforming revivals, this sense of they've been spoiled by those things. And one of the things the Lord has said to us repeatedly from the first week in January uh, this year has been go low and go slow. Go low, go slow, go low, go slow. So, um, And I feel challenged to go and reread Andrew Murray's book on humility again. And I I will do that. If people wanted to do that um, appetite test, how can yes. they do that? Why don't I, uh, I'll email you a copy of that, and
1: then you can do whatever you want with it.
0: Okay, thank you. We'll make, yeah. We're will make. we actually going to make show notes available, so we can make it available with the notes so people can do the test.
1: Yeah, very good. And I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, you may or may not have, but I can also get you a link to a, a little 12-minute video called The Journey to Transformation, that talks about the need for this, and it's 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 a it's short, but it's very powerful and compelling. So, will we can talk offline about okay. several things that we could offer, and then we'll, we'll get you out <laughs> into one of these crazy
0: places, Steve. I would love that. Well, yeah, uh, would. George, if people wanted to connect with you or the Sentinel Group, how best can they do that?
1: Well, you can probably through our website that that's the easiest way when we're talking about transcontinental connections. And it's just www.sentinelgroup, S-E-N-T, I-N-E-L, just like the Isaiah's watchman, Sentinelgroup.org. And okay. um, and then pray with us because we we're really wanting to get out a whole new uh, palette of of stories we've filmed them we've been trying to keep all the the our our resources warm and the the cold out
0: here in kansas city and get this
1: out pray that that will happen soon so, yeah
0: absolutely and we'd love to be receiving those or distributing in terms of letting people know what's available i'll make sure we connect over that thank you so much for joining me today i'm sure i i already feel enriched i'm like i'm going to go back and listen to that bit again so i'm hoping it will be a real rich blessing to those who are watching the revival podcast thank you so much for being with me i want to encourage you that the revival podcast is on itunes on google on spotify We're also posting the videos up onto YouTube, so do make sure you follow us on all of those platforms that you use.